see you this good evening as we're here together to worship. We're glad you're here. Let's stand right now and greet one another in the name of the Lord. a wishful eye. Let's sing that together.
notice we're singing a lot about going to heaven, right? Amen. Amen. The pastor said this morning, uh, we, you know, that's the only promise that we have not saw fulfilled as of yet. Looking forward to that day. It's going to be a wonderful day. Shall we gather at the river? Did they sing that at your baptism? They sang that at my baptism. When I was uh, uh, when I was baptized about 60 years ago, they uh, they ran the cows out of the cow pond, and then they ran us in there and baptized us. But they sang that song. I do I do remember that. They. Uh, you know, it's not just getting to the river. It's not just marching to Zion. 
The last song we're going to sing is Face to Face with Christ my Savior. And let's, let's sing that tonight. y'all do not know that song. Okay. The under 50 crowd. I got you. Okay. Let's sing, let's sing the second. Okay. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for this day. God, what a great day you've given us, what, how we've loved as we worship this morning, as we uh, saw you, Lord, in all that we do. And I just pray, God, that you would continue with us tonight as we worship. Be with Brother Scott as he comes. Pray, Lord, that you would just bless him, fill him, Lord, and just give him the words that we need to hear. God, we thank you for all your blessings and goodness and grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2. 
James chapter 2 is where our text will come from tonight. There, uh, a lot of good teaching in the book of James, a lot of practical living. I, I don't know if you're taking this time as a, as a participant in the Sunday evening service to maybe read through James as you're going through your week, but let me just encourage you, it'd be a great thing as we walk through uh, the book of James as you would read it and and just and, and let it filter into your life and move into your heart. And uh, these are very practical points of living that we can learn from in the book of James. So tonight we're going to have, uh, our text will be James chapter 2. So if you've turned there, I'd invite you to stand with me and let's read God's Word together. James 2, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into the assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down by my footstool. You have not, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he becomes guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit murder, but do commit adultery, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one, to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the privilege to come before you tonight and study this text. God, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts and Lord, use us as, as your people called according to your purpose. Use us, Father to accomplish your will in this world. And Lord, uh, help us understand how we can prepare ourselves for our engagements with others going forward from this day. We pray and ask this in God's, God in your name, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this text tonight, I want to kind of lay out just the first verse to begin with and focus in on that. Paul, uh, James Get my mind on what I'm thinking here. You ever stood somewhere and you're talking about something and a bunch of things come in your mind at one time? Yeah, me too. So anyhow, James is speaking and he says, My brethren. So he's speaking to people who are of the faith. They're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the brethren. It's those that have assembled together that love Jesus and called according to his purpose. They would be the church. And he says to them, Do not hold your faith. In our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Now, I think we're all at risk. Every one of us, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, of 
looking at ourselves and then looking at others and seeing something maybe in ourselves better than somebody else, no matter where you are in life, and looking at our faith in God and, and recognizing what we have in God and considering it personal favoritism. That we, we hold it in a way that we, we, uh, we look down on other people if we're not very cautious. This morning's uh, Bible study and small group time was uh, parallel to this text. I, I, I think most of you are probably, if you were here this morning, are on Explore the Bible. And uh, we, we were on a topic very similar to this this morning. So as we, we look, the, the words here that are being spoken to the brethren, uh, they're, they're revealing to us and to James is speaking to the brethren. He's saying partiality is inconsistent with faith in Christ. So let me just read that again. Brethren, do not hold your faith in, the, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. It's not that God looked down upon you or looked down upon me and, and we are special or elite because we have been granted faith in God. Every single person has been given a measure of faith, Scripture tells us. And we're all called to, I believe as we read Scripture, we read John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe when we read in Romans, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that, that we recognize there is a, a person who is dead in their trespasses and sin, and they are resurrected and called out of death into life, and that is an activity that only God can do to resurrect the dead. But I believe within all that I've studied that God calls us to Himself in a personal, intimate relationship, and our response is to either... A, accept that grace and that love and enter into a relationship with Him, or B, reject that and turn and go our own ways. So God has called us, and He has called us all into a relationship with Him. And it's not like I was just so good that God looked down and said, that's, that's mine right there, yeah, I want Him on my team. No, and God didn't look at you and say, well, she's so special, he's so special in this way, whatever that is. I really want that person on my side. No, God looked down on the created order of all which He created. And He looked at humanity and He said, You are the crown of my creation. That's what He told Adam and Eve. Now, I have, I have set you apart as humanity. And you bear the image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Let us make mankind in our image, not some mankind in our image, but all of mankind is created in the image of God. Therefore, I'm created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. But the image was distorted by sin. And the Redeemer has come to reclaim His image in us when we are born again into faith in Christ. So it's not that I have a personal favoritism that I'm, I'm the favorite in the family of God because I am now called to be saved, but we, we are all called into a relationship with God and we are brought to a place where we can either re receive that or reject that. So God's called you. He's called me. He didn't just call us because we're of a certain socioeconomic class or that we have a certain friend group or that we've arrived at some level of goodness or or ability, but God's looked down upon all of whom He created and said, You are special. You are loved. 
and I want you in my family. So he's called us to himself. Christ, when he went to the cross at Calvary, and you know, they, they hung him on a cross, on a criminal's cross. They nailed him to that criminal's cross, and they hung him between heaven and earth, not for his sin, but for ours. Not for some sin, but for all sin. Christ hung between heaven and earth. And, and, and in that process, Christ on that cross at Calvary did not discriminate between some he was dying for and some he was not. As he looked upon the crowd that was crucifying him, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But in the end, he said, it is finished. The propitiation that needed to be made, the cost that needed to be paid, the price to redeem humanity from sinfulness has been paid in full by my blood on the cross. He, he did not discriminate on the cross at Calvary between some people and other people. He said, I died for all people so that all may have life in me. So we, we see that and, and we see James reminding us that remember this is Jesus' brother. Okay, and, and he, he's learned so much from being around Christ. Even though he rejected the ide- ideal that, that Jesus was the Son of God in his earthly sense in the resurrected state and, and beyond, he recognized the value of Jesus as fully God and fully, fully man and his brother at that. And it was, I'm sure it was mind-boggling for James, but in reality he recognizes that my brother, my Lord, did not die on a cross for some, and not for others, but he died on the cross for all who would call upon him. So don't hold your faith in Christ with some personal favoritism or partiality and, and look down upon others, he's saying. Uh, he, he took the sins of all of us. And, and we know as we read through the text that God is no respecter of persons. And, and, and we see that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, in God's eyes, and that's relating to, when we read that text, that's relating to salvation. At salvation, for those to be redeemed, there's no distinction made between us. We are all equal. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we are all called to Him. So, James is just reiterating this. He's saying, don't, be sure you don't hold, you don't, you don't hold this, this uh, faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. But we see it not just in the socioeconomic divides of our world, or the, we also see it in the racial divides of our world. I, I long to serve and alongside of people, and I've enjoyed serving alongside of people for years, that the, the racial divide is, is not known. Now, there, there's people I've served alongside who the racial divide is pretty deep. And that is so unfortunate, that we are all created by God in His likeness and His image, and we're all image bearers of the king and all valuable in God's eyes. Why should we devalue anyone? Everyone is valuable. No matter what color their skin is, no matter where they came from in this world, we are all valuable to God. So we should never look upon someone else and, and, and discriminate upon them. But not, not only in socioeconomics and, and, and racial divides do we see, but we also see in our world today divisions among religions. We, are, we actually see it among evangelicals. 
Christians of, of different denominations will say, well, at least I'm not like the so-and-sos, and I won't name any because if I start, then I'll have to name them all or whatever. But, you know, we, we see that, and how sad is that, that we would tear apart the body of Christ in, in that regard. So um, it's not like some are better than others. And there are, there are people, and I believe in all denominations, and, and, and even non-denominations, because non-denominational is a denomination. I mean, when you really get down to it, it's a distinction, it's a determination. So even a non-denominational church is a denominational church. They're, they're a group. They, and so if we, groupings of people gather together and come together around a faith code that they say, this is what we believe, this is who, this is how we're going to preach, this is what we're going to do, it is, it is so sad that we would separate ourselves, and even some would say, well, we're better than them. I've had a guy tell me before, he said, because I'm a member of this, this, this denomination or this group of people, um, I, we're, we're the ones that are going to heaven. The rest of y'all are going to be sad. And I'm like, wow, I mean, where is that in 66 books? Show me, show me that, where I'm excluded and you're included because you're of this branch and I'm of a different branch. I am, I am a member of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, it is undeniable what God did in my life on the day of salvation when He called me and saved me, redeemed me. Now, I have disappointed myself and disappointed God along this journey, but I have not lost the, the fellowship and relationship that I have with Jesus it may be strained at times because of my activities, but my, my relationship with God has never been diminished. I have a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because I've been adopted into the family of God. And that adoption has sealed me for eternity. And I have assurance of my salvation. I know what He did in my life. And, and all of us can hold that same understanding. Not because we were worthy of this or because we, we met some level of, of, of value in ourselves because we've checked the boxes or kept it all right, but because of what Jesus did in your life and my life and what Jesus did on a cross at Calvary affords us the way to Calvary and to redemption. And I praise God for that. So, we we can't we got to be real careful that we don't find ourselves with an attitude of personal favoritism an attitude that I'm better than whoever wherever whenever but that God loves us all and God longs for a relationship with us all the vilest of sinners the worst of worst. And, and I want you to recognize this text. We'll get there in a minute. He says, uh, the same God that says don't murder said don't commit adultery. <clears throat> if you failed at one point, you failed at them all. So that's kind of a leveler right there and tells us, you know, hey, listen, if you've done that, well, I've done this. You're no worse than me. I'm no worse than you. We're all lawbreakers. One sin, I break the law. One lie, I break the law. And, and, and in God's eyes, law, a lawbreaker is a, is a person who is separated from perfection because they're lawbreakers, and he is the only one that's perfect. He is the only one that can redeem. So if you just told a white lie or if you murdered somebody, honest to goodness, in God's eyes, sin is sin. In our eyes, we like to elevate and, and put sin in certain categories, and, and, and we look down at others and almost discriminate against them and hold an attitude of personal favoritism because, well, at least I've never done like she's done, or at least I've never done like he's done. I've, I've not gone there. You know what I mean? And that's not right. 
We, we, we don't have that. That's not a, a privilege we hold. We're all, we're all broken people. And we're all in need of a Redeemer. No matter how big or how little you claim your sin to be. And another thing, I've always noticed that my sin's always smaller than somebody else's. You know what I mean? If they do it, it looks a lot bigger. If I do it, I, got, I can justify it and I can make it look a lot smaller. But there, there's, there's, no, there's no level. Sin is sin. And God's redeemed us. So we've we got to be careful that we don't hold an attitude of personal favoritism. And, and then he goes into the, the second and third verse here, and he, he talks about the rich man versus the poor man. He, we are all, if we're honest before Jesus, I believe all of us could step into this in some way, shape, form, or fashion if we're just not maturing in our faith and we're not very cautious here. Because verse 2 says, For if a man comes into your assembly with gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also is a poor man in dirty clothes. So you've got a contrast here between a, a man who is finely dressed and a man who is poorly dressed. And, and you begin to differentiate about what seat in the house they get. Now, as a pastor of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and His church, and a steward of the people that God has allowed me to minister to and pastor to, one of the great passions of my life is to never, ever treat one person any different than they, I would another. And I won't, I won't give an illustration from this church because I really, I'm going to be honest with you tonight, I can't come up with a viable illustration, but I can in the last place that I pastored. I remember that when the, the person of high position moved to town, the bank president moved to town, when the new principal moved to town, when the new CEO of the company moved to town, I had a knock on the door and I was given a name and telephone number and said, be sure you go see them. However, when the person was standing in the suit line, I was never asked to go see them. And that bothered me greatly. That we would differentiate between the one who is of high standing in our social minds and not in the one who is not in a high standing in our minds, socially speaking. It bothered me greatly. I'll never forget, my dad taught me at a very early age, and it's just a way I can illustrate it. I hope it trans, transfers well tonight. But we were, we were there, and this, this guy came up. I, I must have been 12, 15 years old. I, I was young, but we, I was watching my dad sell. He was one of the best salesmen I've ever seen in my life. I believe he could sell ice and Eskimo. Uh, he was just, he had a knack for it. He, he was good at what he did. And uh, he told me, he told me early in life and told me often in life, never judge a book by its cover. You'll be wrong. You need to watch the whole thing play out. So um, this guy came on the, on the lot one day to buy a tractor. And I mean, honest to goodness, he, he drove up in a vehicle that I do not know how it drove out of there. Uh, I, I didn't know how it got there. It had had wire wrapped around it holding the bed on. Uh, I remember that, bailing wire, holding the bed together, uh, mufflers dragging. Both tires in the back were slack. And I was like, oh, boy, he barely got here. And he went out there to the nicest machine we had on the, on the front lawn there that we were selling. It was a very expensive machine. And he, he uh, sat down with my dad, and I was in the room, and, and he negotiated a price. And um, my dad never, never second-guessed it at all. He told him what the price was. He, they negotiated a price, and he looked at his son. He said, boy, go get that brown sack under the seat. 
That man walked in there and paid cash for that thing. And I was like, <laughs> I'd never seen that much cash in my life. And uh, th- this would have been back in the, in the 80s, early 80s. And it was a, to me, it was a fortune what I saw laid on that table that day. In 10s, 20s, 5s, 10s, 20s, and a few 50s and 100s, but mostly 5s, 10s, and 20s. And I was like, oh, wow. And my dad told me when he walked out, he said, son, I told you, never judge a book by its cover. That man could take care of that debt he owed. Many walking here can't. Later, I was, I was selling later, and I had a guy who was just always telling me about how much he had and how much money he made and, and, and how, how fortunate he was and how well off he was until I ran his credit app. I'd tell you a whole lot. <laughs> and, and I couldn't even get him financed on a little old tractor, you know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, you never judge a book by its cover. You can be wrong. You have to give them a person the opportunity to understand who they are not by what they have, but by whose they are. And that's what matters more than anything. And he's telling us, be sure we don't treat people differently by what they have or what they're capable of. So we, we see that uh, in Matthew chapter, chapter 7, it tells us in verse 1 and 2, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So it's very important that when we look upon somebody, we're very careful how we judge and what standard we use because that same standard will be used on us. That's what Scripture's telling us there. So there's, there's this rich man versus this poor man, and, uh, and James is telling us, be careful how you judge. Verse, verse 5 tells us, says, listen to my beloved, listen, my beloved brethren, do n- did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich man who oppresses you and personally drags you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? There's, there's a, a reality here that James is presenting to us. that he, He's saying, listen, there, there's something here I don't want you to miss. God's chosen the poor of this world to be rich, and the rich of this world to be poor. And now that does not mean, I, I don't want us to misunderstand that and think that, well, rich people can't have Jesus and poor people can and that's not what James is saying here. He's not saying that only poor people, that, or he's not saying wholesalely that all poor people have Jesus. I know poor people that have rejected Jesus. I know rich people that have rejected Jesus. <laughs> it's kind of a, a funny now looking back on it. When I was walking in, we were talking about a gentleman in, in, in the sports world that has uh, makes a really large salary, but he surely looks for, he looks uh, and acts and, and displays himself no matter how much money he's making. Uh, to be very miserable. And you and I have all seen it before. Just because you have a lot doesn't mean that you are very uh, happy or have full of joy. Um, there's more to life than the finances, which we so often judge a success by in, in this world. So James is telling us, that he also says not only the, the um, is he saying here that the, the poor people can be rich in faith, and, and rich people can be poor in faith, and that can happen. You can, you can be very rich in, in, in the worldly standards, but very poor in, in godly standards. You can be very poor in worldly standards and very rich in godly standards. It's, it depends on where your heart is and where your focus is. So we, we see that there's that distinction made here. 
when we have little, I, I believe this, I, you, you may challenge me on this, but I believe personally that when we have little, we have more of a longing, more of an ease to find God. But the more a person has, the more difficult it is, the, more e- the easier life is financially and, and, and the, the higher roads you run, many times it's harder, I see, in life to find a need for God. Because a lot of times what we would normally have a need for God is filled financially with some other means. We find another way to fill the hole. Let me just say this. Every single one of us are created by God with a very special place deep within us that only God can reside and fill. You were created with a, with a passionate longing for God. Whether you realize it or not, you have that. That's the way God created you. The world and Satan has offered numerous alternatives, fakes and phonies, to fill, attempt to fill that void. Drugs, alcohol, sex. Uh, you can name just uh, the gamut. I just hit the top three. But you, it could be pride. It could be finances. There's a lot of things that can, that can attempt to fill that hole. And, and if we have the privilege to be able to delve into those things, we may find ways to fill that void with the things of this world. But God created you and He created me to only be filled by the peace of God. And when we reject the peace of God, which is to fill us, and we miss ever being able to fill that hole that God created us with. And we see that in the woman at the well. Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink of this water, this living water that only I can give you, you'll thirst no more. But until you drink of this living water, you're going to search. You're going to have to return to this well every day, and it will never satisfy you. The world will never satisfy us, but the well of Jesus will fulfill us. It will, I mean, to overflow. That's why we were created that way by God, to, to have that longing within us. And um, he goes on to say, you know, a lot of times it's not the poor that are causing the, 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 the problems in, in your life. It's the rich who are oppressing you and dragging you into court. And be careful you don't have favoritism towards the ones who are going to wind up turning around and, and biting you in the end. So the word here uses oppress, uh, to crush by abuse of power or authority, to weigh down or burden. To exploit would be to use unfairly for one's own advantage, brutally, brutal deprivation of one's rights. And, and that's what happens so many times is that we are oppressed by others and, and, and we are exploited by others. They take us to court as he lays out right here. And we see the picture, which is literally dragging one to court, which parallels with Acts 16, 19, where, um, where, where we see that um, in, in Acts 16, 19, we see that, but when, uh, wrong, yeah, 16, 19, but when her master saw that their hope was a prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. The language there is the same between the texts. They literally drag you to court. And uh, parade you before others. So the, the rich, if you will, blaspheme the noble name of God. Verse 8 and 9 tell us that if however 
you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That is just a straight-up-front, in-your-face conversation that James is having. You know, let's not beat around the bush. Let's not give any room for second-guessing this. James says, if you are showing partiality, it is sin. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, we got to be real careful. Because now it has been called out that partiality is sin. And we don't want to we don't want to live in sin, so we don't we don't want to live showing partiality in a sinful way. However, it says, if you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Love starts in the heart, not in the wallet. That's where love starts. And we have a heart for people. We love people. We can find ourselves in the right place and position. And Matthew chapter 22 tells us in verse 36, it says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So the Word of God reveals to us that if we're going to do right by God, this is Jesus Christ. He sums it up, gives us the crash course of how to be pleasing in His sight. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Back off none in your love for Him. And then turn around and love others because you've experienced the love of God, you've expressed the love of God to God. In that relationship, it fuels you then to look upon other people around you and love them in such a way that it makes a difference. Love is the theme there, that we would love one another and that we would walk in unity with one another. But favoritism is breaking the law. It's sin. It's sinful. And, and the law convicts the lawbreaker. So God's saying to us, don't, don't show favoritism. Because we're convicted by the law as transgressors. So the law either upholds us or it convicts us. And in that, if we are showing favoritism, it convicts us. Verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, has said, Do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So... There's unity in the law. It has many facets, but it's one law. You, you get that, right? There, the, the law is the law. The, 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 the will of God expressed for the, the, the way we're supposed to live our lives to exalt God. He set forth a standard. He said, you know, here is a standard by which I desire for you to live. And, and this, is what I, this is what I want you to focus on. This is how you will... You'll live rightly by me is to hear the law. And, and you can't cut parts of the law out and keep parts. You can't not live by some, but live by some. He's saying if you fail at one, you fail at all. But uh, the, the law is there to liberate us and, and free us 
But there's many facets of that, and God's character has many facets, but there's one God. To violate one command is to violate the whole will of God. You know, when we take a criminal to court, we don't have to convict him of every law that he... Or not, we don't, he doesn't have to break every law to be convicted by our law. He just has to break one law to be convicted by the law. So it just that makes logical sense to us. Hopefully it does to you, it does to me. That if, if I'm a murderer, I don't have to be a thief and uh, all these other things too. I, I, I just have to, I'm going to get convicted for the law that I broke. It convicts me. I've, I've broken the law. So here we see that if you fail at one point, you fail at all. Verse, 13, verse 12 says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As you speak and as you do, you will be judged. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We'll stand before our Lord one day and give an account for our life. And I'll tell you, I, I have failed. I have missed the mark. I have not perfected living apart from sin. But I have a Savior who has. And He has redeemed me. My righteousness is filthy rags. But His righteousness is perfect. And He has clothed me in His righteousness by His grace and by His mercy. And I want to live for Him. Because He has so loved me in that way. And He has so loved you in that way. So we have a God who, 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 who loves us and longs for us to live differently than this world. Galatians tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit, and again, the fruit of the Spirit, this is one fruit. It, it all makes up the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits, it's not plural, it is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and it's followed up by self-control. And it goes on and says, Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So we have a Spirit that we are called to live by. He also says... In, in, in verse 23, against such things as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithful, self-control, against such things, there is no law. We have been liberated from the law of condemnation by the grace of God when we have the Spirit of God which lives within us and we are freed from that law and we are given grace because of Christ and His work on the cross. So we're not... Judged by the law of the legalistic scribes and Pharisees, but the law that gives freedom. And it says here, if you have no mercy, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow. So when we look upon people, and, you know, I'm going to do things that are not pleasing to the Lord. You're going to do things that are not pleasing to the Lord. 
I'm not going to meet everybody's standard. You're not going to meet everybody's standard. When we judge by the earthly standards, we begin to put ourselves in personal favoritism above and others, and when we, we kind of sort ourselves out by, by pods or by groups and say, well, I'm better than them. And that is sinful because when we get that opinion of ourselves, we begin to treat others like us differently than we do others who are not like us. And God has told us that personal favoritism and, and treating others in that way, uh, looking down on others and, 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 not, and, and not treating all people the same is, is a sinful act when we do that. So we have to be careful how we live our lives out before the Lord every day. And what, what a word that is to, to me, to no matter who I'm dealing with, no matter if they're the richest person in the world or the poorest person in the world, they are made in the image of Christ and they are valuable in God's sight. And it is my, my privilege to serve them with the hands and feet of Jesus and to love them with the grace of God and show mercy to them. No matter what they've done, show mercy to them. I had a guy tell me one time, and he said, I don't see how you do it, Pastor. He said, some of these folks really beat you up and you still act like you love them. I said, I do. I said, I've been beat up a lot. I'll get beat up a lot more. But I've come to realize that if you hang around long enough, they'll need you. And, and they'll, they'll be in a position one day where they need you. And it's better if I don't position myself where I don't want to serve them. Because somebody's going to need you one day. And now, that's just me and how I approach things. But all of us should approach things as we're all equal. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You're valuable. I'm valuable. And everybody we bump into is valuable. Whether they agree with us doctrinally, whether they are in the same uh, class with us socioeconomically, whether they're the same race as us or not, none of that matters. They're made in the image of God and they're valuable. And God loves them. Therefore, we're to love them as Christ loved his, his church. And we're to, we're to give our lives for every person that we come in contact with. Our life should be theirs to live for them and love them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the grace you've given us. Lord, these, these texts teach us so much. They teach me, Father. They, what a reminder it is, God, of the value you hold on all people, not just some people. So, God, I pray that all of our lives would be lived loving all people, finding value in all people, and not classing or categorizing people in different uh, levels and, and treating people differently. But, God, we would treat all people with love like you've treated us. Thank you, Lord, for being a fair God, a, a, a just, righteous God, a God who you don't, you don't treat us differently because of what we have or, or where we live or anything like that, you love us and you've shown that consistent love, that unending love throughout the generations. God, help us to love as the way you'd have us love, live as you'd have us live, and, and encourage those that we encounter this week with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great evening.